good morning america <laughs> what if we just started the episode hello yeah just like a solemn greetings how is everyone doing um i'm doing well i have a friends giving tonight very exciting very fun i am in the worst week of my life i mean like not really same i am excited for the small cubes of cheese that we will be consuming soon i in the past week i'm gonna briefly go through some of the things that happened spilled laptop spilled laptop spilled coffee on my laptop how much coffee did you spill it was like i want to say probably like Okay, so the story was, I have this coffee cup, and it's, like, kind of like a hydro flask, but it has a straw, so it's not, like, a completely closed lid, but I've put it in my tote bag before. If you just sandwich it in with, like, a hoodie or, like, with the right amount of books, it's fine. What happened was, was when I was walking back, it was too full, so the motion of the liquid inside the cup made the top, like, slightly crack a bit. Um... And then it, like, the top didn't even come off. It was just, like, the top was a jar. The liquid was sloshing in the cup, and it spilled out into the bottom of my tote bag. So it was, like, pooling up in there. And then my laptop was working fine at first um, for, like, the first day after. I put in a little bit of rice. It had some, like, damage on the screen, but it was so not noticeable. But then like 36 hours later it completely like got super super slow wouldn't load anything wouldn't let me do my work it was pissing me off so i had to buy a new computer um (laughs) yesterday i got an email at like nine in the morning your package has been received and i was like okay awesome i'm so glad my jeans are here but like i don't why would i get that email because they usually just deliver it to my my building which doesn't have a mailroom. Oh, no, it's in Warren Towers. Oh, okay, so then I have to haul my ass over to Warren Towers, get there at 2 p.m. Oh, we're going to be closed until 3. I have class at 2.30. I'm like, whatever. Getting up to Warren is also such a hassle. You have to take two different escalators, whatever. Then I go back at 4.30. We'll be back shortly. Then I had to wait in the Warren Towers lounge for 35 minutes, and there was a couple making out in front of me. But I got my jeans. Are those the jeans you're wearing? They're, they're very cute. Why did they deliver to Warren Towers? I don't know. My address was correct. And, like, South Campus has a mailroom at, like, 518 Park. I think it was, like, I don't know. I don't, like, maybe it just got, like, mixed up in the thing. Because whoever, like, I think the route for South also includes, like, the entire BU campus. Or at least Warren. Anyways. I had to go home last weekend. Horrible. I have had so many assignments through this week. Horrible. You look cute. Just like overall bad, but it's okay because it's 70 degrees out. It's beautiful out today. I've had a pretty good week. I mean, there's the whole like my ceilings crumbling saga, which is like a little dramatic. What's but, going know. on with that? So like my ceiling was like bubbling and crumbling. And so I called facilities and they basically came and like scraped it off and like repainted over it. And I was like, okay, that's fine, but I think this is, like, larger water damage coming from, like, the floor above. And he's like, no, it's in one concentrated area. I think it's because of the steam from your shower. Just open a window when you shower. And I'm like, one, I know you're lying to me. Two, you can't just open a window when you shower when it's, like, two degrees outside and it's cold. Like, no. Yeah. Anyway, so it started, like, (laughs) bubbling up again. Yeah. And I basically was like, I told my RA, I was like, I can call BU emergency facilities again. But the thing with like emergency facilities is they come when they want and sometimes not when you're home. So then you can't like talk to them and be like, this is an ongoing problem. Don't just scrape off the ceiling and repaint it like it needs yeah. a long term solution. And then it, I talked to Amanda, our friend who's an RA, and she was like, you need to go to the South office and file a work request form because mm-hmm. then there'll be a paper trail. So then at least you can say like, I filed a work request form, et cetera. I haven't had a chance to do that yet because they're they're only they're open like traditional nine like, to five. Right. But it's like we're students, so I'm usually like in class or walking to class or going to a meeting. Yeah. So I haven't had a chance to go yet, but I really need to do that because I'm I know one day the ceiling is just gonna come crashing down. Dude, I've had facilities come to my apartment 
three times in the past week. The first was because our shower had, like, started giving, like, horrible water pressure. Like, it went completely limp. Facilities comes. Then on Saturday, I'm at home. My roommate, Kira, texts me, oh, our toilet stopped working. She Or she texted me that, like, Friday at, like, 1 a.m. And I was like, I can't even process this. Facilities came. They fixed our toilet. But now we have this problem where the toilet runs every three to five minutes really loudly um and like the issue is that like we don't know how to be like because it's not like harming the way that the toilet runs it's just like something is wrong it's just loud (laughs) it's literally just loud um and then we also had like part of our bathroom floor had been broken so then the guy had to come and fix it it's just been a lot we're really going through it. But it's okay because Thanksgiving break is next week. Thank God. So now that you're done hearing about our emotional trauma, should we get into the lighthearted news? Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Good the news. Okay, so unless you've been living under a rock, you probably have heard about Astroworld. Let's talk about what actually happened. So Astroworld is a music festival with Travis Scott and at one of the... Well, it was Travis Scott's music festival. Yes. Because if you weren't aware, Travis Scott released an album in summer of 2018 called Astroworld, then went on the Astroworld tour. Every year since then, I think 2018, 2019, and now 2021... He's hosted the Astroworld Festival in Houston, which is his hometown, um, where, like, he is the organizer of it, and he is, like, the headliner of it, but he has related acts. Like, he had, like, Don Tolliver, and I think Drake was there, Playboy Cardi was there, but it's, like, his thing. So at one of the days of the Astroworld Music Festival, 10 people died due to a lack of crowd control. So like I said, this was a two-day festival, and this is actually one of the deadliest crowd control disasters in the United States for many years. What exactly happened is still under investigation. So let me just give you a little bit of context about Travis Scott. He's known for promoting, quote-unquote, raging at his concerts, which includes mosh pits, crowd surfers, and stage divers. He is known for creating like a chaotic environment so it's not surprising that people got seriously hurt at a travis scott concert however no one has ever died before and a nine-year-old boy has become the 10th person to die due to injuries from the concert a lot of the people who died are incredibly young ranging from ages 9 to 27 so it really is a tragedy the father of the young boy has sued um travis scott over the death of his son and representatives for Scott have said that they would cover all funeral costs and refund tickets, like refund people who bought tickets. I just want to say like this didn't have to happen. Like yeah. a lot of reports have been like safety measures could have been put in place. So like we don't know exactly what happened. We know that people were quote unquote raging in the crowd. They were trampled. People were trampled essentially. Um, and like what's very interesting is that Travis Scott was like you know like we're gonna cover funeral costs and we're gonna refund people and you can get a free subscription to better help like the online therapy service but I don't know if this is actually confirmed but people were speculating that in order to receive things like this it you would essentially have to sign something that said that you could not sue him for damages oh basically that's kind of the incentive i think for them to i mean obviously it's a pr move but i think that to also include a provision that says that you can't sue him i think i don't know if that's actually confirmed that's just what i saw after it was announced um i was a big travis scott fan i'm not gonna lie i was went to a national world concert in 2019 um he is very much he's always been like rage mosh pit vibes like very much whatever but that's the same kind of thing there's a lot of like metal bands i guess that 
encourage this like rock mosh pits whatever mosh pits are like a normal thing at concerts if you're interested in that the problem is that what he did which he's actually done in the past is he encouraged people to jump barricade he encouraged people without tickets or um like whatever to basically go and like rush the stage basically um and i don't know it's just like really sad that this happened the his lack of accountability like he recorded this (laughs) apology quote unquote where he's it's like he's holding the phone in black and white and he keeps like rubbing his head and it's so weird it's It's also like this is a direct result of his actions like he encouraged this behavior he logically knows that this can get very dangerous like mosh pits don't have to be dangerous but they can get very dangerous i have personally been hurt in a mosh pit that i didn't choose to be in that's the big thing is a lot of people like because it's a crowd and it's like pushing a lot of people end up in like a pit that they don't want to be in i remember i saw brockhampton and they also kind of encourage like mosh pits and that kind of behavior and i was pretty far in the back i would say and i got like trapped in this group of men and one of them because they were drunk ended up falling over and i ended up spraining my ankle and i remember that they like wouldn't like my friend had to be like can you let her out like they were just laying on me and laughing and i was like luckily i mean a sprained ankle is nothing but also like people just will continue like don't realize that these like mosh pits can be very scary i'm not saying don't like like don't go to a concert don't have fun but it's like i feel like it's the responsibility of the concert to make sure that there's safety measures in place not the responsibility of people going to a concert yeah and apparently like like half of the security left halfway through the show a bunch of people that were staffing the event were poorly trained they weren't like whatever there were also people standing on the medic cart that was in the middle of the crowd at one point. I don't know, it's just really heartbreaking. I mean, like, watching the videos of the crowd screaming, like, stop performing. Like, someone's dead in there and he just keeps singing, rapping, whatever. That's disgusting. Really upsetting. Um, Especially, like, a nine-year-old boy died going to a concert. Yeah. Like, imagine how heartbreaking that is for the family. Like, he just wanted to go see Travis Scott. I know. And, like, dance a little bit. Yeah. And they really just encouraged that behavior, which... Which the father didn't... The father also was trampled by the crowd and didn't realize his son was dead until he regained consciousness. Yeah. And then he, like, there was a quote, and he was like, I was just sad that I couldn't protect him. Stop. So sad. Okay, we'll move on. Okay. Australia has a new COVID lockdown, but only for the unvaccinated. Um, So this is one of the first national lockdowns to specifically target the unvaccinated 12 and older. So unvaccinated people are only allowed to leave their house for essential reasons, like going to the doctor, buying groceries. Police patrols will be used for enforcement and violation could result in a fine of over a thousand U.S. dollars. And a week ago, um, Australia had a requirement that businesses check proof of vaccination or immunity to the virus. Um, So this is like kind of round two of that. I support this and I think the U.S. should do this, except for the fact that all the little Trumpy voters would be like, you're taking away my freedom (laughs) in that voice. That's the only way they speak. Yeah. Um, I feel like at this point, it's like, if you are not vaccinated, what are you doing? I'm out here like actively refreshing waiting to get booster of like i don't eligibility. think i'm eligible yet i was just told no we're not no i don't think I, it's also not been long enough because i got my second dose in may so did i isn't it six months okay someone told me i wasn't long enough i thought it was six months i also thought it was a six months i know we're not eligible yet because not all adults are eligible <laughs> yeah um i also got the pfizer vaccine so did i and i they said that like mixing and matching is better so i might get like another rather than getting the pfizer booster i don't know if i it's don't better. really understand the science behind why mixing is better but i don't either i'm confused i don't know but whatever they tell me to get i'll get i'm a sheep i'm a government um i'm a government slave anyway it's time it's time to talk about taylor swift 
the time is here. So on November 12th, Taylor Swift released Red, Taylor's version, which is the latest of her re-recorded albums. The first album that she re-recorded was Fearless, Taylor's version. And so for Red, Taylor's version, the album was released over a decade ago and marked her transition from country to pop. The I thought it came out in 2012. Yeah. That's less than a decade. Oh. Math is hard. Math is hard. It's really not. Anyway, so one of the most significant songs um, on the album is a song called All Too Well. On this new album, she released a 10-minute explicit version as well as a 10-minute short film. So I read this really interesting piece uh, by the New York Times that said, quote, this is a young woman's attempt to retroactively correct a power imbalance. So obviously a lot of like diehard Taylor Swift fans are really interested in who the song is about, but this music critic talked about it doesn't really matter who the song is about. The song is powerful because it shows like a lot of young women in the music industry and just in life general in general do date older men and a lot of times while they're in that relationship, they do feel like they were in love. But then looking back, they realize that it was actually an abuse of power and like a distorted power dynamic. So just for context, like it's speculated that Taylor Swift was 19 in the relationship and the person that she was dating was 30. It was Jake Jonah. <laughs> anyway, and so that even though like technically it's a legal relationship, there is still a clear power differential between someone who is... 10 years younger than you so i wanted to like read some of the key lyrics that are in the new song that talk more about the power dynamic when compared to the old song so one of them is you said that if we'd been closer in age maybe it would have been fine and that made me want to die and then the second one was and i was never good at telling jokes but the punchline goes i'll get older but your lover stay my age and this supposed person that she's talking about something he- supposed <laughs> You act like we're going to get sued by Jake Gyllenhaal. his PR team. He is 40 and his current girlfriend is 25. Um, and Taylor Swift is now 31. So just a little context. It's really interesting because the reason that she started re-recording her albums was to take control over the first six albums, which were sold to investors. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, the re-recorded songs are now outperforming the original albums. So that's that on that. Yeah. I will say I didn't like... It was sold to Scooter Braun. Yeah. Don't even get me started on that man. That man makes me so angry. It's interesting because I think that the reason that the 10-minute version is more powerful than the... The first version, in my opinion, is a lot more, like, somber and is, like, a young girl, like, reflecting on a relationship that mattered to her. Whereas the newer version is, like you can't tell me these things didn't happen. Like, I was there. I remember it. And it's like, you can't gaslight me anymore. Like, I legitimately was there during half of, like, during this relationship. So I I do like the 10-minute version better now. I've officially converted. Um, Go ahead and listen to it if you have no chance. Go watch the short film. The short film, I think, is like, I mean, there's one part where it's like, why are you kissing for so long? But we can, like, move past that. Besides oh yeah, they that, were smooching. Besides that, I do think the film is really powerful because it there's like one scene in particular where she is angry at him, justifiably so, and he's kind of he's calling her selfish and he's like diminishing like why she's angry. He's gaslighting, gatekeeping, girl bossing. Beautiful video. Love it. Don O'Brien is so hot, so Okay. So is Jake Joan Hall, but whatever. So, Kyle Rittenhouse is on trial. Um, yeah. It's just, this whole trial, I, like, am not following it. I'll give the details, but it's just a mess. The first thing I heard about it was that the judge made a racist joke about Chinese food during the trial. The judge ordered that they be called rioters, the people at the protest. Did you not hear about that? Um, okay, so Kyle Rittenhouse was the 18-year-old who shot two people um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which these protests were happening in response to the police shooting of Jacob Blake. And Rittenhouse went to the protest with an AR semi-automatic rifle. He was 17. 
when this happened. He's now 18. Um, basically, now he's on trial for killing the two people or shooting the two people or whatever. Um, my favorite thing about this case right now is that the jury let Rittenhouse literally pull names out of a hat to see who his jury members would be. You mean the judge? Yeah, that's what I meant. Literally, he was sitting at the little defense table and they handed him a hat with paper in it and said pull what kind of also this man is just getting all sorts of privileges throughout the trial trial like he whether it was strategic or not he did cry during the trial and he was that was like a move by the defense to make him more like personable he also he claims that he showed up to the protest with a weapon to protect other people and then he went and killed two people how is that protecting other people also like just i don't know if pulling names out of a hat was inherently a privilege because he pulled so they gave him the thing with 18 names they let him pick 12 and then the six are going to be the like backup people i just don't understand like I don't know if that's, like, inherently a privilege, but why would you let this kid do that, like, yeah. for fun and games? Also, so the defense is petitioning for a mistrial because there was a piece of video evidence that directly contradicted something he said about needing to shoot one of the people for self-defense reasons. And the reason that they want the evidence to be thrown out is because they said the prosecution gave them a lower quality of the video to watch but then the video was higher quality when played in the courtroom i don't see how that matters i don't know how to really handle that and then the prosecution was like we can't control what device you watched the video on the the defense is like i watched this on my iphone 4g and it was like a little pixelated so i just i mean why are this is literally an argument for gun control this case right here like, the fact that he was so easily able to obtain a weapon, that he went to a protest with a weapon, that he turned a protest that was mostly peaceful, violent. And he said that he felt threatened in the space with his semi-automatic rifle. Imagine how other people felt. Like, if I saw right. a man with a semi-automatic rifle and he's like, I'm the one threatened in the situation. Yeah. Yikes. And then, like, one of his rationales for shooting one of the victims is, like, well, he was trying to grab my gun. I hate Like, why did you show up to the protest with a gun? To... To kill people. people. Like, you... He's claiming that he went to protect people. Protect people from who? Right? Who are you protecting them from? It's this whole idea that, (laughs) like... You, you're going to be some sort of, like, vigilante. Well, I just don't understand because people... This is my understanding. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. People like Rittenhouse claim that the police are there to protect people, right? So if the police are there to protect people, why do you need to protect people? Unless you believe that the police don't protect people and that they're corrupt. If you think too critically about any conservative mode of thought, you're immediately going to get a severe migraine. No, like, they go so right that they start to go left. I know. Like, that's exactly his rationale. He's like, yeah, I had to go and protect people because the police don't protect people. And then it's like, because Rittenhouse would be the type to be like, blue lives matter, like support our, or support our boys in blue and whatnot. But the idea that police are incompetent and thus members of the community have to protect each other is literally the central tenet of police defunding, police abolition, community policing. Yeah, I don't. I don't... Again, you think too critically, migraine. I'm telling you... It's coming on right now. You go so far right, you go left. It happens. Yeah, but it's not like they have the self-awareness. I mean, I know. Or the critical thinking skills. All right, let's end on this lighthearted note. So drug overdoses are at an all-time record high in the United States, and the key problem appears to be fentanyl. So drug overdoses were really high during the pandemic, which people expected. However, the numbers are continuing to rise, even though we're starting slowly starting to reopen. I didn't want to say like since the pandemic was over because it's not over, but we're like slowly starting to reopen. So opioid related deaths have accounted for about three quarters of the deaths 
of like drug related deaths since April, according to the CDC. So just talking about like why the pandemic increased opioid problems, one of them was like isolation. So a lot of people who are struggling with substance abuse disorder were sober and then the pandemic hit and they became really isolated. So it was hard to maintain that sobriety. Another reason is that like because of the closing down of a lot of facilities or hospitals and like other facilities where people can get treatment for substance abuse disorder had to shift their attention to COVID-related patients. They were unable to get the treatment that they need. I personally feel really strongly about this because a lot of people talk about the opioid crisis and then it was like, okay, there's nothing we can do. It's like, no, there's been research done. There's concrete steps you can do. There's harm reduction techniques, which include the establishment of safe injection sites as well as methadone treatment. And there's been studies that have been done when people go on methadone treatment, like a good percentage of them do actually eventually become sober, even if they're still, they still continue to struggle with substance abuse disorder. Or I actually went to like a methadone site and I was talking to this one man and like, obviously he's not the norm and I'm not saying that, but like he, which we can like, obviously like the ethics of driving wall high, we can unpack but he drove to the methadone site he like got his treatment and he was like this allows me to function so like I can come here get my treatment in the morning and go to work and then I come back which like obviously there's issues with driving under the use of substance but like it's been proved that people who have substance abuse disorder actually like need more of a particular substance to get high and methadone actually doesn't get you quote unquote high the same way that like other opioids do so like I'm, I'm not defending his actions but I'm just showing that it can help like one of the biggest barriers for people struggling with substance abuse disorder is like ending up on the street and then not being like financially dependent like financially independent so this man was able to like get a job and like get his treatment and like hopefully be able to like have a more stable income and more stable housing and then like the idea is then once you have a stable income and stable housing these people are more likely then to seek out education and like go to treatment centers because they're no longer it's not that they're no longer struggling but they're no longer struggling to the same effect as other people who are using heroin every single day because there's no alternative i just this just makes me angry because this is like another instance of people just continually not listening to public health experts you know what i mean like walking into a safe injection site no it's not like a pretty picture and it's not like a fun environment and it can be like shocking but it's like if safe injection sites are going to help reduce the spread of HIV and AIDS and eventually lead to like people not dying we should pursue them mm-hmm. like I just I feel like a lot of people don't value the lives of people who are suffering from substance abuse disorder they don't. or they're like well it's a choice it's not it's not a choice I like I've talked to so many people and they were like I did a report on it for class and I talked to so many people along like what's known in Boston as like the methadone mile and a majority of them are like, I don't want to be living on the street. I don't want to be addicted to opioids. And a lot of them, unfortunately, were prescribed opioids by a doctor, took it as prescribed, and then become became addicted. And then the opioids were too expensive, so they turned to heroin. So, like, once again, they didn't choose to start taking these drugs. The doctor told that it would help them with their chronic pain, their back pain, their hip pain. Right. And now they're just trapped and nobody cares. Yeah. Real sad. So hopefully it gets better. I I mean, I am hopeful. Like, Michelle Wu has, like, highlighted that she really does care and that, like, she supports establishing more safe injection sites. Like, she's made all these promises. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. So hopefully. We'll see about that. It's just really heartbreaking, especially when people are like, why should we care? It's like, these are human beings who didn't choose to be in the situation that they're in. Did you read the Mass and Cats article? Yeah. In the BU Today? Yeah. It's sad. It's really, really sad. Like, I know. And I feel like everyone needs to go actually see it and, like, go actually talk to these people because I feel like when you're, like, people suffering from opioid use disorder, it's such a like, abstract concept. And then you meet people with real names and real stories. A lot of them have suffered from, like, sexual abuse or, like, other trauma in their childhood. Once again, things that they did not choose right. and then had to turn to drugs to cope because... Like they like one woman I talked to, Bree, she felt like they society didn't provide her with any alternative. Yeah. Or like any other options. Yeah. 
Well, sad. Sad. But, um, what's your, we're going to move on, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Our we're, topic of the day. We're actually going to talk about Public Enemy number one, Dave Portnoy. I am so excited for this. No, I have so many thoughts. We actually had to take a break because I know I'm about to go the fuck off. Okay. Give them the background. So, the reason that we're talking about this is that there's an initiative going around um, to shut down Barstool BU. Um, basically, there's a group on campus called It's On Us, which um, is a group focused on like sexual violence awareness and... They want the page to be shut down. So BU's Barstool page is directly affiliated with Barstool Sports, but not BU. This is the case for every single affiliate um, college Barstool page. If you don't really know what a Barstool college page looks like, it's a lot of like memes and jokes about like campus. Like the BU Barstool page has like pictures of the statue of Rhett holding like vodka or like a sign saying like fuck bc because bc is our rival school it shows a lot of um images of like students drinking and partying yeah it's like party college like frat humor let me just before we jump into like what barstool is i want to talk a little bit about more about barstool b one more time bu barstool's instagram page because the things that we listed without specific examples, might not seem inherently harmful. Like, okay, like, Rhett holding a bottle of vodka, or, like, okay, a fuck BC post, whatever, why are you getting so agitated? But I actually saw a post of, like, there was an unconscious girl lying on the sidewalk, and there was three men surrounding her, like, poking her with objects, and they posted it on BU Barstool's page. Like, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, if someone is unconscious lying on the sidewalk, you need to get help for them. You need to not poke them with objects. Like, there's a lot of things that they will post that are problematic, and they usually relate to binge drinking culture and, like, men exploiting people who are drunk. Yeah. Like, we know, like, I'm not sitting here and being like, like, we know that underage drinking happens. We know that frat parties, like happened like alexis and i have both gone to a frat party that's not the problem the problem is like the perpetuation of sexual violence like at frat parties yeah by the frat brothers in an environment that allows them to act in a certain way like the fact that we could have gone to a party and someone could have been seriously hurt while attending the party and we would have no way of knowing not because like we weren't aware of our surroundings but just because they're very systematic in the way that they unfortunately like abuse young girls they have like a higher girl to boy ratio at parties they specifically target like freshmen to come to their parties now that i've been able to get some resources of like group chats of fraternities and like i like we recently found like a really disgusting like song that they changed that explicitly talks about like exploiting women in sexual violence i'm realizing that this is not like, oh, like a larger frat culture, some abstract concept. This is directly men in fraternities feeling like they are owed certain things and having a power high from being in a fraternity. Yeah. Okay, now explain Barstool. Okay, so how did all this, how did all this happen? Okay, um, so Barstool Sports, that's what it's called. It's called Barstool Sports. They call themselves, this is taken from their website, sports and pop culture blog covering the latest news and viral highlights of each and every day with blogs, videos, and podcasts. I don't even know if that sentence is grammatically correct. Them saying news? Bold. <laughs> so it was founded in 2003 by Dave Portnoy. It began as a print publication in Boston that focused a lot on sports. It launched on the internet in 2007. It started in Boston? Yeah. Dave, I didn't know that. Dave Portnoy is like big boston guy oh no which makes it even worse anyways in 2016 it was acquired by the sharon group and immediately became a parasite this is when barstool really expanded because they had huge backing moved their headquarters to new york stuff like that um so as i mentioned earlier affiliate pages have popped up on pretty much every single college campus um 
you every single school has a barstool page okay so founded by dave portnoy this public like, enemy 50 year old fucking loser <laughs> Hit him where it hurts, Alexis. So I'm going to go through a list of things that David Portnoy has done. Um, each one will be probably worse than the last, and we're in for a wild ride. Okay, so first thing, he, he, okay. When I say Dave Portnoy, sometimes this is like Dave Portnoy and co, as in Dave Portnoy and the Barstool people. Sometimes this is just him himself. Um, all of these things reflect onto Barstool as a whole. There's not really any separation between Portnoy and Barstool. So there was a harassment campaign launched against ESPN reporter Sam Ponder in 2014. In a 2014 podcast, Portnoy called Ponder a effing slut and suggested she sex it up and be slutty on air. Um, after saying this, she was immediately hounded by a bunch of horny Barstool followers that were essentially sexually harassing her. Um on Twitter, on Instagram, and everything, and he was asked to release a public apology, and he did the same thing that we'll see as a trend, and was like, fuck you, I'm not gonna be held hostage by cancel culture type shit, but this was, like, before cancel culture was, like, a thing, but, um, or at least, like, a common phrase, but fun. Um, moving on to racism, um, Portnoy compared Colin Kaepernick to an ISIS agent in 2016. So I'm going to read some quotes that he said. He said, so I'm going to say something that's racist. That's how he started this off. Not a great start. He's self-aware. He said that Kaepernick's complexion and hair made him look, quote unquote, evil. He said, throw a head wrap on this guy and he's a terrorist. He said, I thought he had maybe some terrorist Arab Arabic ideology. Kaepernick thinks black people are being treated unfairly so he's making a moral stand fine i didn't know he was black i don't hate him i hated him a lot more when i thought he was a terrorist what i love about this little thing is that it's not only anti-black it's also so islamophobic and it's this weird like he just picked everything he really like how do you like there's so many like intricate things that we could say like the inherent association between people that look quote-unquote Arabic, people who look Muslim with terrorism. But we don't even have to go that far to see how horrible this whole nonsense is. Other racism. He said the N-word. He chanted along to a rap song, whatever. Um, he had this really funny joke about how one of his employees did blackface. He dressed up as Kevin Barnett, the basketball player, um, and basically said that it was fine because there were black people around him. Um, he said, after 9-11, did you not think when you saw somebody with a turban on, you didn't think of a terrorist? Um, he and his little staff made a joke about how a Puerto Rican baseball pitcher is in debt with the Mexican cartel. Um, one of their little barstool staffers started yelling racial epithets and slurs while playing a video game. Portnoy said the Notre Dame leprechaun mascot shouldn't be black. Um, they had a reoccurring beat on the barstool news website that black lives matter protesters deserve to be run over okay it can't get worse no it can so portnoy made illegal threats to fire any barstool employee that aimed to unionize um so he quoted a tweet from a union supporter that said if you work for barstool and dm this man i will fire you on the spot there was then a Twitter account made called Barstool Sports Union that was made by Barstool itself to uncover if any employees supported efforts to unionize. So basically what this Twitter account did is it followed a bunch of Barstool employees to like get their attention and it tweeted something like, we want to, you know, unionize Barstool, like DM me if you agree, like let's get this going type of thing. Um, so then I don't know if actually any employees did DM this page. But basically, it was just like a plot to see which employees... It was entrapment. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if there was any actual, like, anyone who was actually fired, anyone who actually faced repercussions for DMing this account. But, yes. Um, here's a quote from Portnoy in 20, 2010. I never condone rape, but if you are size six and wearing skinny jeans, you kind of deserve to be raped. That's disgusting. All right. Longstanding sexual harassment allegations from female interns and employees at Barstool. The most recent allegations about Portnoy came out November 5th, so two weeks ago. He went on no other than the Tucker Carlson show, which is one of his favorite shows to go on to clear his name. 
Did you? Okay, so it's on us posted about the allegations. He commented on the it's on us post. Of course he did. Like he commented a horrific comment. He also like he claims that this was consensual actions and yeah, I, yeah, and actually described the assaults like in detail but saying that it was like rough consensual sex like you are a disgusting human being yeah you are disgusting you think that you can act this way and that no one's going to care and that there's no repercussions and i'm so tired of it especially because it doesn't even matter but like there's so many consistencies between the women that he's clearly like a serial predator yeah um pornoy has been banned from nfl games i just think that one's a little funny um there's a reputation that Barstool um, is, are really big copyright infringement perpetrators, which is not really as serious when we're talking about, like, sexual assault allegations and um, racism and stuff like that. But it is just something to note that Barstool pages will often steal videos or pictures or whatever and repost them with no credit. Um, and with how large Barstool as a conglomerate thing is... That's a really big problem in terms of, like, copyright law. Dave Portnoy wrote a blog post in 2015 saying, There I said it. I am voting for Donald Trump. I don't care if he's a joke. I don't care if he's racist. I don't care if he's sexist. At least Trump is entertaining and says funny shit. Trump 2016 for real. He has interviewed Donald Trump at least three, if not more, times. Um, they're, like, real big besties. And this is, like... This is, like an abbreviated version of all that he's done it's Dave. so horrific that the things that are also horrific seem mild like the fact that he was like i don't care if i'm voting for someone who's sexist and racist because i'm sexist and racist you're like oh that's mild compared to the horrific allegations and horrific things that he said comparing colin kaepernick to a terrorist like i think people don't realize like like, I don't know how to say this without sounding stupid, but, like, how horrible comparing someone to an ISIS terrorist is. Like, do you know what they do? And every single time that he's been asked to apologize, every time he's faced backlash, he's had the same response of, like, well, fuck you. Like, I'm funny. Like, it was a joke. Like, y'all are so sensitive. Cancel culture is trying to rip me apart. You can't stop me. Barstool for life. Type, like, weird ass, like... You know, that whole, like, reactionary type thing. That's also just weird. But imagine if... Okay, can I just give you an example? Imagine, yes. like, a mild example. Imagine if I said something mean to you and you were like, Leah, that was really mean and hurt my feelings. Can you please apologize? And I was like, no, fuck you. Fuck this. This is cancel culture. You're trying to cancel me. It's like, if you hurt someone's feelings, apologize. Why are men so scared to apologize? Just, like, weird and, like, to summarize everything, Barstool has normalized rape culture, misogyny, toxic masculinity, excessive slash underage drinking, racism, being a Republican. It's also, like, rape culture is so harmful just because, one, it doesn't only make it harder for survivors of sexual violence to actually come forward, but it normalizes rape. As if, like, his one quote, normalizing rape, so horrific. And, like... Just to comment also on, like, all the things that he promotes are not only harmful, like, to other people, but also to his audience themselves. Like, the toxic masculinity culture hurts the men who consume barstool sports because it suppresses their emotional development into, like, normal, compassionate human beings. Mm -hmm. Same with, like, underage drinking. It's not necessarily that underage drinking is the problem. It's the way that he promotes excessive underage drinking. Like people die from drinking too much alcohol yeah like i mean as college students ourselves like i feel like the kind of college drinking culture is something that we could like make a whole thing about and the idea like blackout or backout like you know stuff like that which can which it always starts as a joke and then it normalizes blacking out which is not a normal thing to be happening when you are drinking it's that like barstool hat makes this like implicit connection between blacking out drinking and like rape basically exactly and like we do not need to normalize frat brothers no it's also like there's 
we've all been there. You drink a little bit too much. You get a little sick. You have to eat chicken nuggets the next day, whatever. It's when you're drunk and your actions start to harm others that the problem really arises. Or you start to really, really deeply harm yourself. And he's normalizing both of those things. Yeah. It's just... He is the enemy. He sucks. Um, also, the argument like, oh, like, well, I don't support him, but like, I think Barstool BU is funny. You are supporting him. Like, this is yeah. his brand. You are using his label. If you want to make a funny, like, BU-specific meme page, why are you calling it Barstool BU? Like, we have... Like, that's what I really don't understand because I know that they're affiliated with Barstool and they probably get some sort of, like, incentive from barstool but like we have other bu meme pages we have like the bu version of like the onion very funny we have not problematic we have like other i don't know we have like the facebook page there are the other Reddit meme page. pages that aren't aff affiliated with barstool also barstool bu like isn't even funny i feel like i thought it was funny freshman year but it's like no longer funny anyways barstool equals portnoy he is inescapable he is He's not just, like, the owner of it and then, like, Barstool exists. He is in ev every step of the process. You cannot go on Barstool.com without seeing Dave Portnoy. Like, this is him. He is the brand. The brand is him. They are one. And the thing about Barstool is it's not just the affiliate pages. It's not just the website. It's Barstool is the real pandemic, and here's why. One, Saturdays are for the boys. Where did that come from? Barstool. Because, of course, it came from Barstool. Of course it came from Barstool. Call her daddy. Of course it comes from Barstool. It's a Barstool podcast. Well, is it still a Barstool podcast? Or is yeah. it now owned by Spotify? Oh, no. Now it's transitioned to Spotify. But either way, call her, I, call, call her daddy is still on. Like, their merch is still sold on the Barstool website. I saw this when I was doing my research in the middle of class for this. Which we could do a whole episode on, like, why call her daddy is harmful. But, like, call her daddy sucks. The BFFs podcast, this is my actual enemy because call, I feel like Call Her Daddy has kind of, like, after the whole, like, Sophia, Alex drama, I feel like it kind of... They actually, after the drama, and I will say this because I was a listener before and I'm a listener after, before they were very much talking about sex for the male gaze, after the split, they've transitioned to just, like, having normal conversations about sex which you is, still listen to it? I listen to Sophia's, which this is, like, really sick and twisted, but, like, one of the, like, characters who they called Milf Hunter on Call Her Daddy, which Sophia didn't know him very well. He was, like, Alex's really close friend. They would kind of use him as, like, the male voice to, like, confirm things that they were saying. And then before Alex was really mean to Sophia or however you want to view the situation, he actually came to Sophia and was like, she will use you and she will exploit you and she will cut you out of your life because that's who she is. And then Sophia was like, what? And then she did that. And then later he came on Sophia's podcast using like a different name. And it turns out like the reason that he's like was, now he's in like a long-term relationship and it's like much happier, but like the reason that he was like so sexually hyperactive when like Alex was talking to him and all this stuff is like because of repeated abuse that he suffered and apparently she knew about it and still continued to make him talk about like sex repetitively that sucks like what is wrong with you isn't that so messed up yeah he was like I had to go through so much therapy and now I'm in like a happy stable relationship I mean good for him but he still shouldn't be on call her daddy well he he shouldn't have been i mean he shouldn't have been such an integral part of it but then like once she like screwed him over he like quit barstool B him he was like me quitting barstool bu was really when barstool. i like yeah sorry really when my life got better like do you see how it ruins people do you see what it does so the bff's podcast oh, is literally the new pandemic call her daddy has kind of like gone away a little bit i mean they she still has her listeners but i feel like it's not so much of a plague anymore same with saturdays are for the boys the bff's podcast is a podcast between of course dave portnoy and everyone's favorite sway house superstar josh richards what's the sway house the sway house is the male all male equivalent to the hype house featuring people such as jaden hostler josh richards i don't know any of their other names 
But like they were all friends with like a little huddy and like Nessa Barrett. Nessa Barrett and Jaden Hostler are dating. Nessa and Josh used to be dating and then they broke up and then she started dating Jaden. You know a lot about this. And then everyone was like, Oh my god, like she cheated on him and I was oh my god, it was a plague. Anyways, Dave Portnoy has a fucking <laughs> podcast with this little 19-year-old kid. It's so weird. How old is Dave Portnoy? Like 45, 50. It it's also mad weird because he's so, like, I'm living. He's the whole. He's 44. The whole thing about Barstool. Look up a picture of Josh Richards. You know who Josh Richards is. The whole thing about Barstool is that he, like. This man. Yeah. This man is 19. Yeah, no. He is. It's such an obvious thing of like i'm living through my youth like i'm young like midlife crisis type shit because i'm 20 years old i can't imagine having a fun conversation with anyone who's 44 that's not my mother like i'm not gonna sit down and start a podcast with some 44 year old binge drinking sports guy he has deep psychological issues and i think therapy would really help him and like the thing with here's the thing the Sway House, who is their target audience? People between the age of 7 and 12? Like, no, like maybe high schoolers too, but like no one college age is listening to the BFFs podcast unless they have no friends, no life. You know That's what I mean? That's the sad part too is you have these really young, impressionable children listening to these conversations thinking that it's normal. Because I feel like the thing with Call Her Daddy is yes – people young people could listen to call her daddy but i feel like the general like content of it made it really appealing to college age people i agree and this does not defend them i don't like call her daddy it doesn't defend that the way that they talk about women the way that they talk about sex i think it's harmful nonetheless but at least as a 20 year old listening you are a lot less impressionable than people who are 11 years old they love this way house they're like little kids like that's like my little sister my sister doesn't like this White House, but like, you know, a little kid. And they're like, oh my God, Josh Richards has a podcast. Oh my God, let me, you know. So obviously they're going to pull up YouTube and they're going to look up BFS podcast on YouTube and they're going to watch the recording of the podcast because they're like, Josh Richards is so hot because they're a little kid and they have a little crush on Josh Richards. Like, who am I to judge? And then suddenly they're listening to whatever the hell they talk about. I don't even know what they talk about. Let's look up some episode titles. Oh, God. I just think it's so harmful. They're saying all these, like, really harmful things. It's harming, like... Reacting to Taylor Swift's all too well. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear it from you, babes. No one. Nobody. They've had this podcast for a year. Oh, my goodness. A year. So, basically, Dave Portnoy shut up and start talking about rape culture. And why Dave Portnoy is public enemy number one. Yes, agreed. Thank you.